In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is, was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The last is John eight twelve. These are words of Jesus. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joel. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh. For those of you guys who haven't met, Happy New Year. Glad that you guys are here starting off the uh, first Sunday of 2020 with us. Uh, we're going to begin a new series uh, to kick off 2020. Um, and so last, what was it, Wednesday was the first day of 2020. And it's the first day where we kind of started our new calendar uh, and our Western calendar in the West. But um, tomorrow actually begins the first day of the church calendar. I don't know if you're familiar with the historical church calendar, but the historical church calendar is broken down into different seasons. And tomorrow actually begins the first, the first day of what's called Epiphany. Epiphany is one of those seasons of the church where the church specifically marks out time to remember certain things about our faith, to remember certain things about Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. The word epiphany literally means unveiling. So it's a, it's a season about a month and a half long where the church historically focused on who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Where we intentionally remember that that child that we celebrated a couple weeks ago, the, the one lying in the feeding trough, that he is not just a baby lying in the feeding trough, but he is God in the flesh. We remember that Jesus has come to unveil God, to give us the epiphany of God, to reveal God, to show us who God really is, and to introduce us to him. And we think that it's helpful to carve out this time, especially in our day and age, because in a day and age of 24-hour news cycles and trending topics, what we tend to do is we tend to run frenetically from one thing to the next. And we as a society have a collective case of ADD. And so when something world-changing happens, it gets drowned out in all the noise. And we pay attention for a few minutes, and then we bounce to the next thing. 
Just think about the way that, that we celebrate Christmas in the West. For, for most of uh, church history, Christmas was actually 12 days long. That's where you get the song about the 12 days and the geese and the jumpers jumping and all those different things. And, and that's the way that the church has historically celebrated Christmas. But that's not the way, right, for most of us that we celebrate it in the West. In the modern West, we spend all this time and all this money in the build-up to Christmas. We've got the sales, we've got the parades, we've got the music, we've got the parties, we've got the ugly sweaters, we've got all the different things in the lead-up to December 25th. And then December 25th gets here, and it comes and it goes, and we run by to college bowl season as if nothing has ever happened. And that is crazy. That is crazy when you stop and you think about what Christmas actually is. Because the claim of Christmas is that God stepped into human history, that the creator became a baby, that God became a human being. And if that's true, that changes everything. If that's true, it's not something that you just run past like the latest viral YouTube video. Jesus has come to reveal God, to bring us to meet him, and that reality changes everything. So what we're going to be doing over the, over the next month or so is we're going to be drilling down into the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at who Jesus is and what he came to do. John, one of, one of Jesus' earliest followers, one of his closest friends, writes one of the earliest biographies of Jesus, and he tells us why he wrote this biography, why he wrote this Gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, it's the end of the book, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I could tell you all sorts of things about Jesus. I knew this guy personally, but I am writing these specific things so that you will know who Jesus is and so that you will believe in him and so that you will find life in him. And one of the ways John does this is by including what are called seven I am statements. That's why the name of this series is I am, because we're going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus. John says, here were seven times when Jesus made explicit claims about who he is and what he came to do. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you've heard some of these before. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the statement that we're going to be looking at today, I am the light of the world. And here's what you need to know about these statements. Every one of these statements was loaded with symbolism and meaning for the people in Jesus' time. So when they heard him speak these words, they realized Jesus is not just claiming to be another good teacher. He is not just claiming to be another religious leader. When Jesus makes these statements, when he makes these claims, he is claiming to be nothing less than God in the flesh. He is claiming to be Yahweh the Lord of the Old Testament, the one who is. If you were here during the book of Exodus, when we were walking through the book of Exodus, we saw this in Exodus 3. You got the, God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, I want you to go to the people of Israel. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, God, well, what's your name? What do I call you? What's your name? And do you remember what God said? Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says, I am the one who was, 
and who is and who is to come. I am the eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, almighty maker of heaven and earth. I am. And that's the name by which the people of Israel called God. Yahweh, the Lord, literally the one who is, the I am. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is saying, I am. I am Yahweh. I am the one who is. Sometimes you'll hear people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Like every year around Christmas or Easter, like you can mark it down like clockwork. Time Magazine, History Channel is going to run some groundbreaking story about how we've misunderstood Jesus all these years. And it's the same story they ran last year, but it's beside the point. And, but here's the thing. Jesus never, to say that Jesus never claimed to be God is simply historically untrue. And, and to be honest, it's actually pretty arrogant. Because here's why. Because the earliest followers of Jesus believe that he claimed to be God. The closest friends of Jesus believe that he claimed to be God. The enemies of Jesus, the people who killed him, killed him for claiming to be God. Everyone who knew Jesus personally believed that he was claiming to be God. But somehow, those of us who never met Jesus, who live 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, who speak a different language and inhabit a different culture, think that we know Jesus better than they did. Because here's the thing. You and I need to deal with the actual claims of Jesus. Now, we can reject them. We can say that we don't like that. But it is simply intellectually dishonest to redefine Jesus. It is intellectually dishonest to try to make him say things that he didn't say or try to make him not say things that he said. We've got to deal with, with what the firsthand biographies of Jesus said. And it's fascinating if you read these earliest biographies of Jesus because Jesus' followers say the guy claimed to be God. And his enemies say the guy claimed to be God. But if you read through the biographies of Jesus, you will never find a chapter and verse where Jesus says the exact words, I'm God. Have you ever asked why that is? A few reasons. One, I think it would be overly simplistic. See, as Christians, we just sang this song, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. We believe in, in what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, that he is one God who eternally exists in three persons. Now, you can try all sorts of things to make the math work on that, but it doesn't. It's a mystery. It is something that is beyond our capacity. It's, it's something that if you think about it too long, it's going to make your head spin. But listen, that shouldn't surprise us. If God is God, and if we're not God, then we should expect that there are probably some things about God that are going to make our heads spin. And one of the reasons that Jesus doesn't just come right out and say, I'm God, is because he doesn't want to confuse it. He doesn't want people to think he's claiming to be God the Father. He claims, I am God the Son, and John unpacks that throughout the gospel. So I think that's one reason, but, but, but I think there's another reason that Jesus never comes right out and says, I'm God. It's because that phrase is too vague. Because Jesus came to show us who God is. He came to show us what God is like. And the word God is one of the most ambiguous words in all of human language. You can take the word God and you can make it mean pretty much everything. Maybe the tree is God. Maybe the mountain's God. Maybe you're God. Maybe I'm God. Maybe the great spaghetti monster is God. There are all sorts of different ways to think about God. This is why we have so many different religions. 
because we all have this tendency to remake God in a way that fits into our categories. And Jesus steps in and he says, I'm going to show you who God really is. I am. I am the Lord. I am the one who is. But let me tell you specifically what that means. It means that I, the Lord, am your bread of life. I'm the food for your soul. It means that I, the Lord, am the true vine. I'm the one who sustains your life. It means that I, the Lord, am the light of the world. I bring light into your darkness. I'm the one who shows you who God really is so that you can know God personally because I'm the God who has stepped into this world to introduce myself to you. See, here's how we tend to think about God. We tend to think about God as if we're all kind of at the bottom of this mountain and God's up at the top of this mountain, kind of up there in the clouds somewhere. And we got all these different religions, we got all these different philosophies, and we're all just trying to make our way up to the mountain to get to God. But what if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain has come down to us? What if I told you that he was born in a feeding trough 2,000 years ago in a town in the Middle East? And what if I told you that he has shown us and he has told us what he is like so that we can know him personally? That's the claim of Christmas. That's the claim Jesus makes for himself. And that's what he is opening up to us in these seven I am statements. So we're going to start today with I am the light of the world. Now, light is one of the primary religious symbols in the Bible, in all of religious literature, because there is something basic to being human where we know that we need the light. We all know that the world is a dark place. It is a dark place, and all of our attempts to fix it often make it worse. Like you realize, if you read history, the greatest atrocities in human history were propagated by people who were trying to save the world. Everyone has a salvation schema. Everyone believes that there is something wrong with the world and that something will make it right. This is why we make New Year's resolutions. The gym was packed yesterday, and I, I am not against New Year's resolutions. I've got a few of them myself, but, but I've also had enough resolutions and broken enough resolutions over my 40 years to know that I'm going to need something more this year than my own personal commitment to being awesome. We know that the world is a dark place, and deep down, we all know that the human heart is a dark place, and not just other people's hearts. My heart is a dark place. And so we long for the light to dawn. We long for the light to shine on us. And you hear oracles of hope like Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God says, I will not leave you in the dark. I am coming to you. For hundreds of years, God's people are holding on to this promise. They are waiting for the light. They are waiting for the mighty God to step in. And then Jesus comes on the scene in John 8, and he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying the promise is being fulfilled. The God that you've been longing for is here. 
And so today I want to look at this statement, I am the light of the world, and I want to simply ask two questions of us today about the light, two questions that we need to answer. One, what does the light do? And two, what will you do with the light? What does the light do? And what will you do with the light? First, what does the light do? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. First thing we see about the light is that the light gives life. Again, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Without light, there is no life. Like We know this simply by looking out the window. Without the sun, all life on earth would die. Without light, there is no solar heat. Without light, there is no photosynthesis. Without light, there is no life. And look look at what John connects here. He connects two very important concepts. He connects the word and light, and they go hand in hand. He goes all the way back to Genesis 1. How did God create light? In Genesis chapter 1, the earth was dark. It was formless and void. Darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. And Genesis 1, 3, and God spoke. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke light into the darkness. And now John says he is doing it again. The word that created all things. The word that made the universe. That word became flesh. That word had a birthday. That word has an eye color and a skin tone and a blood type, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. The eternal God, the eternal word, became flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelled among us. God speaking light into the darkness. God making all things new. And let's bring this down out of the philosophical stratosphere for a second, and let's talk practically what this means. This means if you want God's light, you've got to have God's word. God's light and God's word go together. This is why we read the scriptures. Let me encourage you to to, to make a commitment to knowing God through his word this year. Every year, I try to commit to a Bible reading plan, and if I'm honest, every year I fail miserably. Like, it's January 5th, I'm behind. So, like, let's get that out of the way right now. But listen, my performance is not the point. God doesn't love me any more or any less depending on how well I nail my Bible reading plan. But the reason that I keep coming back to it year after year, decade after decade, is because I am desperate for his word. Because this world is dark. Because my heart is dark and I need his light. I need his life-giving, light-giving word. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I need that light for my life. So what what does the light do? First thing, the light brings life. Second thing, the light gives hope. It gives hope. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the midst of a world filled with evil and oppression and poverty and cancer and natural disaster and famine and racism and war, the light continues to shine in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the ancient world, darkness was a terrifying thing. 
when I was growing up, one of my dad's favorite statements is, nothing good happens after midnight. Some of you guys have heard that. Some of you guys are having flashbacks to high school right now. Nothing good happens after midnight. But, it, but in the ancient world, it was more like this. Nothing good happens after sunset. Because in the ancient world, you would make sure that you were inside before dark and you would lock the door and you would not go out until morning because there weren't light bulbs and there weren't street lights and there weren't cell phones with flashlights on them. And during the night, violent gangs would roam the streets and wild animals would hunt their prey. That's how life feels sometimes, doesn't it? It feels dangerous. It feels uncertain. It feels maybe like you're hanging on by a thread. And if that's how you feel today, here's the good news. That's why Jesus came. He's the light who came to step into our darkness, who came to give us hope in the midst of despair. If I could just be honest, I have found myself struggling this whole year, this whole past year, with a deep sense of darkness, maybe more than any other year in my life. And there have been times when the darkness has been so thick that it feels like it's crushing me. And it hasn't gone away. <laughs> it's not like you turn the page to January 1 and we're in a new decade now and everything's happy, clappy, and everything's merry and bright. But in the midst of it, the darkness has not overcome the light. The light is still with me in the midst of the darkness. I love Psalm 27. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I love this psalm because I love its honesty. Things aren't rosy. Things aren't happy. There is an army surrounding me. There is a war rising against me. Yet in this, I will be confident. For the Lord, the I am, the one who is, the God of angel armies, he is my light and my salvation. So I turn my eyes to him, David says, and I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And that gives me hope. Some of you in this room are walking through dark times. This past year was a dark year. This past decade was a dark decade. And you're still bearing scars from an abusive parent, from a loveless marriage, from a soul-shattering divorce, from the death of a child, from a consuming addiction, from lifelong struggles with anxiety and depression, and you just want the darkness to go away. And someday it will. Someday it will. But in the meantime, know that the light has not abandoned you. He is with you. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light gives life. The light gives hope. Finally, the light reveals reality. The light reveals reality. John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, Jesus says that, or John says that Jesus is the light of men. 
the true light who gives light to everyone. Now, there is a lot going on in this little phrase. Theologians have been discussing the implications of this phrase for the last 1,900 years. But here's what it means in a nutshell, that, that Jesus is the light of men. It means that all truth is God's truth. It means that anything we know about the world Anything we know about reality, whether that comes from biology or chemistry or sociology or psychology or economics or philosophy, anything we know about reality, all of it comes from Jesus. Jesus is the light who gives light to the world. This is why Christians, since the time of the Reformation, have been champions of the physical sciences. Because we believe that God is speaking. We believe that Jesus is giving life and uh, giving light through the study of science. This is also why you'll find glimmers of truth in other religions. Because the darkness has not obliterated the light. Because there are certain things that people know simply by virtue of being human beings created in the image of God. And John says, God gives us this light, glimmers of this light so that it'll lead us to the light so that it'll point us to Jesus, who is the true light of the world. That's what the light does. The light gives life. The light gives hope. The light reveals reality. That's what the light does. But maybe the bigger question that you and I need to ask today is what will you do with the light? What will you do with the light? Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself in his creation. He has revealed himself in his word. He has perfectly revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And yet what we so often do is we take the light and we twist it and we ignore it and we deny it. And instead of letting it point us to God, we twist it so that it leads us away from the light. Because the light shows us reality. It shows us reality about God. It shows us reality about the world. It shows us reality about ourselves. And sometimes we don't like what we see in the light. So the question for us today is will you reject the light? Or will you receive the light? Will you reject the light? Or will you receive the light? Some of us will reject the light. John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The people who should have welcomed him rejected him. The people who said they wanted him turned their backs on him. The people he came to serve betrayed him. The people who said they loved him are the ones who killed him. Some of you have experienced things like this. Deep, painful rejection. Rejection from your parents. Rejection from your kids. Rejection from your spouse. Rejection from your friends. Maybe even rejection from a church. And here is God in the flesh. And he says, I get that. I've been there. I understand that. I am with you in the midst of that. He came to his own people and they rejected him. Why? Why would anyone reject the light? If the light gives life, if it gives hope, if it reveals reality, why would anyone reject that? 
But here's the thing about the light. The light exposes things. The light makes it impossible to hide, and sometimes we don't like that. John chapter 3, listen to what Jesus says. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. God has clearly spoken. The light shines in the darkness. But sometimes, honestly, we don't know the truth because we don't want to know the truth. We, we don't see the light because we like the darkness better. And I don't know where, where all of us are today. Maybe you're here today and you're exploring Christianity and you walked into this place and you're like, what in the world is going on? But you're, you're, you walk into this place and, and maybe you think that Christianity is just kind of wishful thinking. In other words, that, that those of us who believe in Jesus, maybe we just believe it because that's what we want to believe. Maybe that's true. But let me ask you, have, have you ever considered the flip side? Have you ever considered uh, may, that maybe you don't believe because you don't want to believe? Have you ever considered that possibly agnosticism might be its own brand of wishful thinking? Because I can tell you from personal experience that there were times in my life when I tried to convince myself that God didn't exist. And it wasn't because I was convinced by some great philosophical argument or by some new scientific inquiry. It, it was because I wanted to live my life in a way that was contrary to the way Jesus was calling me to live in his word. And I didn't want to see the light because I wanted to hide in the darkness. So are you willing to be honest with yourself? Are, are you willing to ask, why do I believe what I believe? Why don't I believe what I don't believe? What, am I willing to ask those questions honestly? I need to do this. As a follower of Jesus, I need to do this every day. Am I willing to see the light? One of the things that concerns me is, is this trend that I'm seeing in Christianity where, where we try to explain away some of the less popular teachings of the scriptures. And it doesn't just it concern me because I see other people doing it. It concerns me because I feel this temptation myself. I feel this temptation to censor Jesus. I feel this temptation to try to edit God, to, to round off the rough edges and to make him sound a little more like a white, middle-class, 21st-century American. And there are, there are difficult things to understand in the Bible. There are things that don't appear clearly, but there are a lot of things that God has made perfectly clear. And the truth is that sometimes I run away from them because I don't like them. And I've got to be honest and I've got to ask myself, why? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I not believe what I don't believe? So often we reject the light because we prefer the darkness. And John says we can reject the light or we can receive the light. We can receive the light. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who receive him become children of God. What does it mean to receive the light? Well, first thing you see right there in verse 12, it means to believe the light. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, here's the thing about belief in the Bible. Belief in the Bible is never merely an intellectual thing. It's not only about what you think. It's about how you see. Faith is never blind. Faith is seeing with new eyes. Faith is like a spiritual sixth sense that God gives you. God opens your eyes to the light, and then the light changes the way that you see everything. 
C.S. Lewis has this wonderful little essay. It's called Meditation in a Tool Shed. I promise it's more interesting than it sounds. Meditation in a Tool Shed. And Lewis talks about this day where he's like, he's like working in this tool shed and there's light coming through, through a crack in the door. And, and the beam is really intriguing to him and it's kind of cool to look at. But then he goes and he steps into the beam and he looks outside and he sees a whole new world open up to him. Birds and trees and squirrels and 93 million miles away, the sun. And he realized that a whole new world was opened up to him when he stepped into the light. Elsewhere, Lewis said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what faith is. It's a new way of seeing God and the world and ourselves and everything changes the way we see everything. Now, if that's true, if you believe in the light, if, if, if you come to the light, if the light changes everything that we see, then it will also change everything about the way that we live, right? Your word is a light to my path. It shows me where to walk. If I see something dangerous on the ground, I'm going to walk around it. If I see one of my kid's Legos on the ground, I'm going to step over it so I don't lacerate my foot on it, hypothetically speaking, if that ever happens to anyone. I see, and it changes where I walk. We don't just believe the light. We walk in the light. The book of 1 John, the, the Apostle John, is reflecting on what it means to follow Jesus as the light of the world. That's what he says, 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says God is light. God is pure, perfect, unmixed, unadulterated light. And the children of God seek to walk in the light. But when we step into the light, something happens. We're exposed, and it's time to be honest with ourselves, and it's time to be honest with God that none of us perfectly walks in the light. And we struggle, and we fail, and we fall, and we continue to sin. So, so coming to the light, walking in the light, means that we come honestly before God, and we confess our sins. And it says it means that we trust in the faithful and righteous God who promises to forgive our sins because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because without the death and resurrection of Jesus, the light is a terrifying thing. The light is something that we want to run and we want to hide from. But because Jesus, he says, is the propitiation for our sins, because he's the God who died and rose again for us, we don't have to run from him. We don't have to hide from him. We don't have to pretend to be something that we are not. Jesus knows the worst about you. And he chose to love you anyway. Not just on your best day, not just your highlight reel, but your worst day, 
your worst sin, the one that keeps you up at night, that one that you try to hide from everyone, including yourself. That's the sin Jesus died for. You don't have to hide in the darkness and you can step into the light. And you don't just do that one time. You do that repeatedly over your life as a follower of Jesus. And that reality changes you. You keep coming back to the light, being honest with him, trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And over time, you begin to look more like Jesus. We believe in the light. We walk in the light. Finally, we reflect the light. Reflect the light. A couple months ago, we, we saw this story from Exodus 32 and 33. Moses goes up on the mountain. He meets with God, and he, and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my face. No one can see my face and live. But he says, I'm going to put you in this cleft in the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to pass by, and then I'm going to lift my hand off, and you're going to see my back. And Moses sees just the tail end, the, the, the back of God, and his face shines with the glory of the Lord. And he comes back down the mountain and he's burning the retinas out of the people of Israel because they can't look at him because his face is so bright. So he puts a veil over his face. But the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says, that's not the way it's going to be with us. Moses put a veil over his face, but we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, we don't see God's back. We see his face in Jesus Christ. And we don't hide it under a veil. We shine like the stars in the heavens. So let's live that way. As those who see the glory of Jesus in his word, let's reflect his glory in his world. Matthew chapter 5. This is so interesting. Jesus had said, I'm the light of the world. But listen to what he says in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As those who have received the light, we reflect that light in the world. Believe in the light, walk in the light, reflect the light, and one day we will live fully in that light. And darkness will be no more. Revelation 22. No longer, this is John having a vision of what's going to happen when, uh, when Jesus comes back to set all things right and make all things new. No longer, he says, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. I love this. They will see his face. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. For some of us in this room, 2019 was a tough year. And I can't promise you that 2020 will be better. But I can promise you that it will get better. I can promise you that if you are trusting in Jesus, your future is not one of darkness.
Your future is one of light and life and glory and joy. And here's how I know that. Because the light came into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. Because the light shone in the darkness and the darkness tried to overpower it. And the darkness did its worst. And the darkness nailed the light to a cross. And the darkness killed the light and buried him in the ground. But three days later, he got up. Three days later, the light came bursting out of the tomb. Three days later, he trampled death and sin and hell and darkness, and he rose to the right hand of the Father. And he promised, I am coming back. I am coming back to set all things right and to make all things new. I will dwell with you. I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will see my face. That is good news. In the midst of a world and lives filled with so much bad news, that is good news. So I just want to ask you, what will you do with the light? What will you do with the light? Will you reject the light? Or will you receive the light? In the midst of such a dark world, it is so easy for us to forget about the light. And that's why Jesus gave us a visible reminder of his presence with us. That's what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's Supper. This meal is a visible reminder. You can look right at it. You can hold it in your hands. It is a visible reminder that feeds and nourishes our faith. It is a visible reminder. Jesus is here with us in the midst of the darkness. His body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, he is here with us in the midst of the darkness. And it also reminds us that one day we will eat and drink with Jesus when he returns and the darkness will pass away and the night will be no more and we will see his face. So we're going to celebrate that as we take the Lord's Supper. The way that we do that, if you're new, we have stations at the front, we'll have stations out in the back, and we simply come down the aisle and tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and take it and return to our seats. And as you prepare to come to this table, let me ask you, ask yourself, what will I do with the light? If you're a follower of Jesus, what will you do with the light? Before you take communion, take an opportunity to step into the light. Take an opportunity to be honest with God, to receive his forgiveness. Look, you don't have to hide. The bread and the cup right here tells you his body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to hide. So step into the light and be honest with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we encourage you, don't just come do some perfunctory religious thing. Stay in your seat while others come to take the bread and the cup. But but ask yourself the same question. Ask yourself the same question. What will I do with the light? What's holding you back from receiving the light? Might be an intellectual question. Might be just emotionally some hurt from your past. It might be something that you're afraid to give up. What is it for you? What is keeping you from the light? If you've got questions about that, if you want to explore that with someone, I'd love to speak with you after the service. Let's pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper. Father, the world